Some things are hard to control, like the volume at a music festival. Other things are easy to control, like your in-home Wi-Fi. With Xfinity XFi, you get fast speeds and the ultimate control over your home Wi-Fi network with the XFi app. You can do things like see which devices are online and how long they've been connected, or set a Wi-Fi curfew for that someone who checks social media at 3 in the morning. So go ahead and take control of your Wi-Fi with Xfinity XFi. It's simple, easy, awesome. Go to Xfinity.com, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit a store to learn more. Xfinity Internet Required. Other restrictions apply. The West Wing Weekly is brought to you by Blue Apron. Start this year off fresh with help from Blue Apron, your secret to easy meal planning. That's right. It's 2019. It's time, finally, to try Blue Apron. They have a variety of plans, vegetarian plan. They have a brand new Weight Watcher freestyle plan. And you will learn how to poach, saute, and chop like a pro, all from the comfort of your own kitchen with Blue Apron. We love Blue Apron. Not only have we used it, our parents have used it, Josh's parents, my parents. That's right. It's a family affair here at the West Wing Weekly. And you end up with meals like, like what, Josh? I'm going to start us off with sage and brown butter chicken with roasted vegetables. How about panko-crusted chicken with roasted potatoes, garlic-sautéed kale, and caper mayo? How about the alliterative pesto pasta? Delicious dish. (laughs) With broccoli and lemon ricotta. Or black bean and sweet potato chili with avocado and cotilla cheese. Those are just four of the amazing meals you'll find from Blue Apron. Blue Apron does not repeat a meal in the course of a year. Check out this week's menu and get $60 off at blueapron.com slash westwing. That's 60 bucks off at blueapron.com slash westwing. Blue Apron, a better way to cook. You're listening to the West Wing Weekly. My name is Rishikesh Hirway. And mine's Joshua Molina. And today we're talking about season six, episode four. It's called Liftoff. It was written by Deborah Kahn, it was directed by Alex Graves, and it first aired on November 10th, 2004. In this episode, it's CJ's first day as chief of staff. It's not an easy one because the Bartlett administration has to come up with a plan of action when an emissary from Georgia walks into the White House and offers them weapons-grade uranium. Josh seeks out a meeting with a congressman from Texas who's thinking about leaving Congress. That's Matthew Santos. And Toby and Donna try and find a replacement for the press secretary. Nicely done. Was that off the top of your head? Basically. I'm impressed. I don't think I could describe the series, The West Wing, generally off the top of my head. (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm impressed. Uh, As I mentioned in the synopsis, we get Congressman Santos's first appearance in The West Wing. And there's a little bit of a spoiler, I think, in the titles, because before we ever see him in the show... He's in the opening credits of this episode. Yeah, outrageous. Jimmy Smith's first appearance in the titles. He must have insisted on it. Just kidding. (laughs) It's an interesting choice. You would think they would have held back. Although, who knows? Maybe it was a big press release at the time he was even cast. It's probably that he's a big get, and so they probably decided uh, to milk it for all it's worth from the get-go. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, they've had big stars, but anyway, any chance of leaving some suspense about whether or not this character was going to stick around or have a long-term arc are really pretty well squashed by the time you see the name Jimmy Smits in the opening credits. True. I didn't uh, break out the stopwatch to see how much more time I lost. <laughs> it's true. But you, you did lose a little bit more. You're saying it's noticeable to you or just it's a zero-sum game and thus I must have? Exactly. You must have. Snuffy's theme isn't getting any longer. That's true. So we better hurry up. <laughs> 
Coming up later in this episode, we have an exciting guest. Allison Janney is going to join us. We had a great conversation with her, which we've already recorded, and we'll play that at the end of our recap. We talked a lot about the CJ stuff with her, so we're going to save some of that for later. Let's talk about some of the other points first. Back to Matt Santos for a second. He's the congressman for Texas's 18th congressional district. And if you just, you know, anyone was surprised by a Democrat coming out of Texas, there are currently 11 Democratic representatives in Congress out of 36 seats. The bench is deeper than it once was. Including the current representative for the 18th district. That's uh, Sheila Jackson Lee, who, by the way, graduated from Yale. Ding, ding. The 18th district was also home to Congresswoman Barbara Jordan. And in 1972, she was the first Southern black woman ever elected to the House. And she was the first African-American and the first woman to deliver a keynote address at the DNC when she spoke in 1976. She was the acting governor of Texas for one day in 1972, making her the first and only black woman thus far to serve as governor. Right on. Also worth noting that 18th districts everywhere are considered uh, propitious for the Jewish people. That's the high district, as it were. So, in the cold open... Morning, ma'am. Staff Sergeant Kelty. This is Sergeant Woolitzer. Is everything all right? Sure is. May we? Morning. No. Sorry. Agents DeCastro and Shay, they will be... I do not need a Secret Service detail. They'll give you a wide berth. Could we please discuss... This is the thing that struck me on the second watch of the cold open. It, It struck me as a cinematic cross between the stateroom scene in the Marx Brothers' A Night at the Opera. Hmm classic scene that we can link to in which their stateroom on this ocean liner is just more and more people show up. It's yeah. fantastic. One of the one of the great, I think, all-time film scenes. And I thought a little bit like uh, Louis Bunuel's uh, Chien Andalou with uh, <laughs> CJ's eye <laughs> and that close-up. I was kind of waiting for a straight razor to go across it. Wow. Uh, shout out to the Pixies. Ah, Sure. Did you notice that when CJ is getting ready, she puts on her jacket in sort of a Bartlett-esque way herself? I, yeah, I did, as a matter of fact. I liked that yeah. detail a lot. Yeah, and it kind of uh, portends the President Bartlett jacket swing duck that she'll have to perform later. Yeah, and it also made me feel like it was a nice physical way to tie the two of them together. Yeah, absolutely. Like now she's the captain of the team. She puts on the jacket the same way. That's right. Some of the people who come in are CJ's Secret Service agents. And uh, this was something new, I thought. Had we, have we ever seen Leo getting his own security detail? No, that crossed my mind, too. They seem to be a lot more concerned about her security than we have heretofore seen with Leo. Yeah, maybe because she had already in the past gotten stalker death threats, as we know, from season three. So maybe that was why. Or maybe just um, Leo had them all the time when they were just very discreet. Perhaps so. Maybe Margaret is secretly. She's very Secret Service. Here's something I didn't notice on the first watch. There's that uh, kind of funny moment where CJ has delivered to her the day's briefing books. This is Elroy. He brings the briefing books. You guys are going to be friends. These are this week's? These are today's. I didn't notice the first time I watched that somebody seems not to have briefed Elroy the extra. He's introduced as the guy who's going to help her out with briefing books. Because when CJ asks if those are uh, this week's, he nods. (laughs) I was like, some, there's a little miscommunication, and I think somebody should have said to Elroy, uh, here's, the, here's the scene we're doing. <laughs> <laughs> These are today's. Maybe Elroy was just giving a more all-encompassing answer, because she's not wrong. They are for this week. I see. You're, you're Venn diagramming it. Yeah. More specifically, they're for today. Yeah. Fair, you're right. Okay, fair enough. He's a, he's a macro guy. Mm-hmm. 
My favorite filmic Elroy since the Jetsons, nonetheless. <laughs> I just had a niece born this week. Her name is Alora. Ah, that's a beautiful name. Congratulations. Thanks very much. That's exciting. Birth stats, weight, height, do you know? Gosh, I don't know. Fair enough. Little and little. <laughs> yeah, baby size. <laughs> right. I never really quite understood the stats game. Like, the baby was born at six pounds, six ounces. And at the exact time and how many inches. Yeah. And that, which is fine if you want to announce it. What's strange to me is when people want to know, when people are like, oh, and what was the baby's birth weight? It's just something to say, I guess, because there's not much to say about a new baby. And, yeah. you know, she looks like Winston Churchill. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like all babies. So there's not, there's just not, not that much to uh, point to uh, specifics about a new baby other than stats. Yeah. I still uh, calculate my own weight in ounces and my height in inches. <laughs> and how are you clocking in these days? Uh, many, many ounces. Uh, not so tall. <laughs> <laughs> the height certainly seems to have stabilized. The weight still fluctuates. <laughs> Will has this weird line. On behalf of the vice president and myself and every man who's ever had a Wonder Woman fantasy, it's a bright day. Get out. Oh, dear. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I don't Gross. know. He's got yeah, yeah, a little bit inappropriate. And uh, what are you gonna do? You're gonna fire him, I think. Did we ever discuss? Wasn't didn't CJ kiss Will on the cheek recently? Yes. Was that the previous episode? Yeah, maybe it was the last episode. Will was very happy about it. He was. Yes. <laughs> Big beaming smile. So there maybe um, Will might have a little thing for CJ. <laughs> I think Will is really just desperate for any kind of attention. I I think so too. When CJ walks in. There's this great moment where she smells the flowers and thinks they're for her, and then they're for Leo. But then she walks into Leo's office, which is now her office, and it's full of flowers. And I had this visual memory of the third season for Six Feet Under. I don't know if you remember this. Back in 2003, there were big billboards in, in L.A. There was a photo of the cast shot by Gregory Crudson, who's a great photographer. It's very rare that he does any kind of commercial anything, but he did this uh, shot of the cast of Six Feet Under, surrounded by flowers in the home. And this was like the main image for the third season. And the lighting in Leo's office and the flowers and CJ reminded me a lot of that image. That's a great shot. Have we discussed at all the the change in cinematography on the show? Thomas Del Ruth has left the show as right. the uh, director of photography, and Michael Mayer has taken over. And I know on our message boards, uh, a lot of people have been commenting on a slight change in look of the show, and maybe a little bit moodier, darker. And you didn't even know it could get darker. It was already right. so dimly lit. <laughs> it was dark to begin with, yeah. So, but, but there is a shift, and maybe I'm not articulating it well, a slight shift in look and lighting, and I guess camera work as well. We get a lot in this episode of handheld camera work, which I think helps to sort of give us this feeling of uh, seeing the administration through new eyes. I, I like this episode a lot, and once we've gotten past uh, the reservations we maybe had about the credibility of a press secretary moving to chief of staff, now that she's in, CJ is great, and it's, I'm enjoying watching her first day and i think the handheld photography sort of accentuates the look and feel and movement of that first day on the job yeah this is so far my favorite episode of the season we're only four episodes in but i I love this episode too yeah as do i one of the things that's going on is uh, Toby makes a, is starting to make a mess of things in the briefing room. He has a gaff after gaff. He says, oh, CJ Craig's not the only one working without a net. You know, in the film Bullworth, Warren Beatty was working without a net. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> so you were saying, before I rudely interrupted you. <laughs> He's getting harangued by the press and then steps a little too far with his sarcasm and he says, But in the event they all lose their way, the president can always send C.J. Craig to Ramallah to swat at suicide bombers with her purse. And the whole place goes crazy and, and the staff starts to run. And this is where the Josh Lyman sliding gif comes from. Remember you? You, yes. made, you made reference to it, and I said I hadn't. I didn't know it. And here it is. Here and it, it is, is a uh, an exquisite piece of physical comedy. I'd like to talk to Brad just about how it, it almost it looks impossible. <laughs> it, it really, yeah, it looks impossible. Plus, the reason why I brought it up right now is because you were talking about the change in cinematography, and I just thought the moment when that happens, there's a bunch of things happening stylistically. It's a real move that they make just for this one scene. One, he, he slides across the f- frame. It's, yeah, how does he do that? But they also do this thing where they do a reverb hit on the press saying, Toby. Toby! It echoes out just as Josh is sliding across. And then we move to Toby actually out of the briefing room. So it's like a time jump, a Josh slide, yeah. and an but echo Josh hit. Ca- yeah. And then Josh catches up with Toby in yeah. an unbelievably short amount of time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the whole thing is kind of insane. Yeah. There's a little bit of like a fairy tale moment or something larger than life happening in just that brief moment. And I, I really liked it. I liked it too. Seemed almost like a Bill Irwin gag. I think Bradley Whitford has some dance training, right? I, You know, I don't know. I know he has a daughter who is... Uh, a ballerina, and I know that I mean, he is great physically. You can tell from his. I don't know if he has training. Probably having attended Juilliard, I imagine everyone uh, who attends the Juilliard acting program has some dance training. Yeah, and he can do the splits. Well, he is ridiculously agile. Yes. Yeah. And annoyingly likes to do all sorts of ridiculous physical stuff when he's working. I mean, <laughs> just before cameras roll, he's basically bouncing off the walls and doing splits and his legs over his head. And he can put both legs over his head and you can roll him around like a donut. It's, Im- <laughs> it's kind of impressive and disgusting at the same time. I think you might be describing some of our listeners' fantasies. Uh, probably one or two. There's, there's a Venn diagram uh, that applies to anything. Speaking of risky business... And Bradley Whitford's risky business move. Sure. (laughs) I think there's an interesting haircut choice for Bradley Whitford. Ah, I didn't really take it in. It might be worth taking a look. He has almost like a military cut that's grown out, but it's a new haircut. It's gone from his sort of rakish, unkempt hair to something shorter and spikier and more (laughs) hedgehog-like. How did I miss that? I don't know. I thought you would lead off with it, honestly. I'm off my game. Hold on. Sending you a picture. Yeah. Oof, dear. (laughs) Yeah, I'm going to say he was maybe between haircuts when they filmed this episode. (laughs) It's not entirely unlike Rick from Rick and Morty. (laughs) That's what it is. Very good. Oh, good call. Very good. We'll put up a uh, juxtaposition. (laughs) And you know what? They both burp a lot. <laughs> That's true. That's true. <laughs> there, this, the similarities may be more um, deeper than we realize. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, so this first meeting with CJ and now the rest of her staff mm-hmm. is so strange and is so tense. And, and really, I was uncomfortable watching it. CJ does a great job, you know, sort of slipping into the role. But I just couldn't stop thinking about how weird that must have been for them. And then... Toby does this joke of, oh, I'm going to resign. He sells it, I think, brilliantly. And Josh, too. I just think it's time for me to move on. This is my letter of resignation to the president. I don't want to pile on. 
But working for one of my closest friends is, I think, not going to bring out my best. Gosh. The first time I watched this, not knowing, I know that there are changes coming up in, in the show. And I was like, oh my God, is this how it happens? And I was like, yeah. I think it would be weird because as soon as the meeting, as the meeting was going on, I'm like, this is awkward. Yeah, this is a new, uh, a new frontier. So when they respond with, you know what, this is too much, it's not going to work out. I was like, yeah, makes sense to me. But then the president comes in with his letter of resignation and makes it this like big, broad joke and everybody laughs. And I thought, okay, yeah, great. Everybody's laughing. The president's joke, I'm not comfortable working for a woman. I'm going to let the vice president, I'm going to resign the president. I mean, that's ridiculous. And so, of course, people laugh. But the Toby and Josh ones were a little too real, I thought. Uh, so I see it the other way. I like the real ones. And then the president ones that come up. They're still acting. It's, there's, I guess there's an, a non-credible moment to me, which is that they should have, CJ sort of started laughing immediately as soon as the president said what he did. Yes. Yeah. It's just ludicrous. And, right. And, exactly. And for some reason, they approach uh, the way the scene was directed and acted is as if that was still credible. Wow. Right. Yeah. The president, really? <laughs> and, you know, the, then the president, you know, chides Toby for laughing. Like, come on, we could have still gotten her going. Like, no, yeah, you like, couldn't. No, you you're could saying not you, were, <laughs> you said you were going to resign the presidency because right. you couldn't work for a woman. Like, right. that's ridiculous. After, you, after you're the one who gave her the job. <laughs> yeah, right. You know, it exactly. just doesn't make yeah. any sense. It, it, it doesn't even make uh, logical sense. You're yeah. correct. I Mainly, I felt bad for Will, who seemed not to be in on the joke. <laughs> right. That's right. He, <laughs> like, so he, he may, didn't get the memo. He has an expression of, <gasps> I think he actually <laughs> yeah. opens his mouth a little bit. <laughs> or you opened your mouth a little bit. But anyway, I'm just saying that part of the joke was like, all right, this is stupid. But the Toby Josh part of the quote unquote joke really did not feel like a joke because then throughout the rest of the episode, the sort of underlying kernel of the joke, which is, hey, this is weird. It becomes substantially part of the plot. Well, that's well, that's what I like about any joke when there when there is some uh, truth to it all. Yeah. Oh, I didn't say saying this I, that I disliked yeah. it. I mean, I disliked it in terms of how uncomfortable I was, but I loved it in terms of the plotting of the show. Show. Yeah. No, I think we see in, in uh, Josh's meeting with Santos. I uh, hear C.J. Craig got chief of staff. It's got to be a blow. That's fine, really. And you can tell in Josh's response that uh, it was a little bit of a hit he took. Yeah. As it would be. Everybody keeps reminding Josh. They're like, "Ooh, you're staying in the job. You know, the guys from the DCCC try to uh, get him away. And he says he's, he's going to stick around. And they're like, wow, really? Hmm. And uh, yeah. And, and Santos actually try, is the only one who really kind of tries to put a positive spin on it. You couldn't do the kind of politicking you do behind Leo McGarry's desk. You'd be making sure the trains run on time. They need you. You love that fight, and you're good at it. I don't love it. And Josh is sort of like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think he's trying to buy into what Santos is saying, but I think he also knows that it's not true. Well, I wonder, I thought it was maybe trying to give us, through Matt Santos, a little bit of insight as to why Leo, I mean, I think we're going to find out down the line what Leo has in mind for Josh rather than chief of staff, but, you know, Leo can't, tell us uh, what he was thinking at this point. And I think we're getting maybe some idea of why Josh's talents and skills would be better used elsewhere. What I really like in this episode is that you see, rather than addressing it head on, you see in Toby's behavior a couple of times that he's having some trouble adjusting to the new world order. Yeah, Just some looks that he gives CJ and he's a little bit hurt. And then at one point he actually says to her as if quite taken aback. It wasn't a suggestion. It was what? An order? 
And the answer, of course, is yes, I outrank you and I'm, I am giving you an order. It's the kind of thing, can you imagine him ever having that response to Leo? Right, you know, right. I wonder whether, you know, I'm just reading into whether there's any taking an order from a woman aspect to it, or it's just that it's CJ and he's used to being on par or, you know, sort of outranking her on these matters. And all of a sudden it's just like, oh yeah, you're my boss. He's having a little trouble accepting that. Yeah, I think, I, I didn't think that it would be any trouble taking orders from a woman, but more that this is his friend, his dear friend, who he brought into this campaign. He's been her boss the entire time. The press secretary reports to the communications director and... Certainly they trade ideas like peers, but really he has been her boss. And now suddenly this person who he introduced to the administration is now his boss. That's got to be so crazy. That moment specifically, I thought was was really rough. Yeah. I mean, recognizing that the power dynamic has shifted, you'd think it really ought to have been more on Toby. It should have been on his mind to put her at ease that he'd be good with falling in line. It's sort of, you know, I'm a little bit disappointed in Toby that he should have sort of processed that this is her first day and she now is the boss and maybe that he'd give her that due respect, but he's having trouble doing it. Yeah. Well, I think we've seen that Toby's not great at self-preservation. True. I, I, I wasn't even suggesting from that point of view, but you're right. He ought to be cognizant of how he needs to act moving forward. But I think from the friendship point, like, okay, this is weird. My friend, and who's somebody who was maybe an underling is too strong, but the, uh, over whom I had some power now has that power over me and I'm just going to cede it because otherwise this could feel really awkward. Yeah. I mean, it takes a generosity of spirit that I think Toby doesn't have an excess of. Right. And when it's first made clear to him that I don't expect to be handed a single person who's going to be the next communications director, I want a choice. I want to see a list. He reacts also in a way that is undermining. And it reminded me actually very much of what sometimes happens when pilots are being cast and happens in Hollywood, which is that the creative team will fall in love with an actor and decide this is the guy or the woman I want for the role. And when they bring the idea to the network, the network always wants to see more than one person. They don't want to cede the choice completely to the creative team. They want to see a few people. And often, I think what happens is that the creative team then brings in the person they want and several, several other people that they don't think will be as good. Yeah. In other words, they try to tee up their person by surrounding him or her with uh, lesser talent. Toby tries to pad the list with lamos, and uh, <laughs> and then and he gets busted actually while doing it. You know, Donna says to him, "Isn't this a waste of time?" And he says, "It's a complete waste of time." Just as CJ is coming in, I mean, he is undermining her and he's defying her orders, and he also just keeps getting called out. I mean, the power dynamic is what it is, but he just keeps stepping into the bear trap. I feel like. Yeah, no, Toby's one of those guys who believes that he knows best, and so whatever it takes for his decision to fly, he's going to make it happen. Yeah, but by the end of the episode, Toby and CJ do kind of make up, and I love this moment. You know, he gives her this information about Hutchinson and the DOD that she needs in her battles with him, and she takes that in, and she says to him, I love you desperately. I know. I like that. He says it so quickly and like dejectedly Mm -hmm. that it's actually very hard not to love him in that moment. I agree. That's Toby. And that's the brilliance of uh, Richard Schiff (laughs) in the portrayal that even when he's being a knucklehead, you kind of can't help uh, (laughs) uh, feeling affection for him. Yeah. It's great. And it is a acknowledgement on his part that they are still friends and, you know, that this is not something that's, you know, destroying their friendship. It's just, this is just a, a moment. That's great. 
the Hutchinson stuff, I mean, here's another person who's doubting CJ a lot and uh, giving her a hard time. He says, ah, the woman of the hour. And by calling her that, I think he's paying her a compliment, but I think there's something cynical underneath it as well. Like the fact that he's saying of the hour, Hmm. there's some indication that he thinks that she's not going to stick around for very long. I think you're right. I think it's a subtle dig. Yeah. Catch. Because then they go into the sit room and, and Hutchinson's running the show. I like that Margaret has to actually physically pick up CJ's hand and throw it on the scanner (laughs) to get her in the sit room. That's a great moment. It really is. Margaret is on fire on this whole episode. Yeah. Great episode for her. Yeah. Yeah. And then Hutchinson in the sit room just takes up all the oxygen. And he's been a guy who's been annoying ever since he's shown up. I mean, he, even before he, he showed up, he was sort of a spoiler for the president often and um, the things that he wanted, they'd have to deal with him. But then once they actually cast him, Steve Ryan like embodied the guy on screen. Mm-hmm. He's really been nothing but annoying the whole time. True. And it makes me wonder why they keep him around. He just always seems to be trouble. That said, it is refreshing to have a secretary of defense. <laughs> <laughs> There's at least a certain amount of security in having someone in the role. Yeah, yeah. It's too bad that Trump's Secretary of Defense was mad as hell and couldn't take it anymore. (laughs) When they're in the sit room, by the way, they mention Oak Ridge. Besides which, we take foreign-owned nuclear material and dump it in Oak Ridge, Tennessee. Every environmental group, every community. Oak Ridge, by the way, is where enriched uranium was produced commercially for the very first time. And in Hmm. fact, enriched uranium is sometimes called Oraloy, which is O-R-A-L-L-O-Y or Oak Ridge Alloy. Oraloy is your third favorite filmic Elroy. (laughs) Yes. Boom. (laughs) I love this episode's presentation of the different press secretary options. It sort of reminded me of when Mrs. Landingham had to be replaced and we got to see all these candidates come in. Yes. Reminded me a little bit also of the auditions for the role of Hitler in The Producers. Well, the one thing I, I don't understand, because we find out that CJ keeps a, quote, in case I get hit by a bus file, according to Carol, right? right? And she says, you've got appointments today with the obvious top choices, spokesman from state, interior, etc. But one, most of these candidates are terrible. And you would think that CJ having a list would have weeded some of these terrible choices out. But then what's up with the guy who shows up and says, Joanne, marry me. Make me the happiest man in the world. (laughs) And giggles. (laughs) I wrote down the line and just wrote a series of question marks. I felt, is there something I'm not getting? Yeah. Like, who's he talking to? There are no TVs on. How did he get in the room? (laughs) I don't know. Who was he talking to? Entirely perplexing. I have no idea. Is there some rhyme or reason that someone else can point out to us that that we're missing? There is no answer that I can think of that makes any sense. (laughs) Yeah, I didn't get it either. Yeah. But even without that guy, even without Joanne, Will You Marry Me, I'm surprised that these are the people who CJ thinks are good enough to replace her, with the exception of the one person who Toby likes. Right. That guy seems totally fine. But like, Shouldn't they have all been somewhere in that level? Yes, this would be another subsuming of credibility in order to have a funny sequence. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you're right. Like, wait, these these people are terrible and one of them is insane. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, one of them is a potential security risk. How did he get past the, the guards at the front? Right. But it also gives us our first introduction to Annabeth Schott, played by Kristen Chenoweth. Yes, who I believe is 59 inches long. <laughs> 
<laughs> I'm not sure of her weight. How many ounces? She comes in not looking for the press secretary job, which, uh, you know, there's some bad staff work happening because it's not even that she shouldn't be in that meeting. She's applying right. for a different job. And then somehow Toby cannot understand what she's saying. That She's like, I'm here looking for this job. And he's like, this isn't the job that we're. <laughs> it's a meet cute. <laughs> yeah. A little bit of uh, funny confusion that happens. But one of them, there are a couple moments of cross confusion. We're like, okay, should we now, now everybody knows what's there. There should no longer be this confusion. You know, Donna says. Much of the job is, you know, briefing the press. A deputy? Deputy what? Are you the gal I talked to on the phone? Thank you so much for coming in, but we're going to move on to somebody who has a clearer understanding of the position. You're right. No, it's odd. But we get to meet Annabeth, who actually has great ideas for what they should do. And we find out that she's the one who discovered Taylor Reed. Yes. Toby's taken enough worth her ideas to present them to CJ. And it seems at first to try to take credit for them. And then he eventually says that they're Annabeth's ideas. But one, the one thing I noticed, and I thought this you know, sheds further light on how Toby's feeling about this CJ as chief of staff of it all, is that the one thing that Annabeth says to Toby that he doesn't share with CJ is, you're going to be very difficult to replace. Those are big shoes to fill. You know, the purely complimentary part of it, he doesn't share with her. He's not ready to say that. Yeah, he's still stinging. Which I thought was interesting. I love how completely disarmed Toby gets by Annabeth's compliment when she says, you have a watchable quality, much like Taylor Reed. And then he's just completely nonplussed from that. Yeah. And he repeats it later to CJ. You most certainly have a quality. I'm watchable. <laughs> yeah. It's <laughs> so cute. cute. <laughs> nonplussed, by the way, mm -hmm. often misused. Often misused. Yes. But I thought you deployed it perfectly. Thank you. I think uh, Kristen's a great new presence on the show, as is Jimmy Smith's. Yeah, I agree. You feel some fresh air being breathed into the show. I like it. The whole episode feels like a restart. That's true. They've hit a refresh on the series. And yeah, they're introducing these um, new characters. Annabeth, from the start, you feel like, here we go. This is a character who's going to be sticking around. Right. We already know that Matt Santos is, so you don't even have to wonder about it. But yeah, this feels like we're in a new era, not just with CJ taking on the job, but all of these other introductions. Yeah. And along with Jimmy, we get his support staff and uh, people in supporting roles that I think are terrific. We get Evan Arnold as Ned and Karis Campbell as Rona, and we're going to meet them and get to know them a little bit better. And I hope we'll have them as well as Kristen and Jimmy on the show yeah. soon enough. One thing that I loved about this episode is the end. The whole episode changes after CJ's final meeting with the president, he tells her that she can take the call with the UK prime minister. And then the whole episode starts to breathe. And I realized that up until that moment, it had been nonstop, like the moment of Josh sliding and the echo, mm -hmm. and like things were just happening so fast. Kristen Chenoweth, by the way, like such a great addition, partly because she can just handle the speed of the dialogue so well. Mm-hmm. But the episode had been going so relentlessly, so quickly. And then suddenly, for the first time, I feel like it kind of slows down. And uh, CJ has a moment of, you know, confidence where she's like, okay. She walks out of the president's office and the whole thing just breathes. And I, I thought that was really nice. And, and it settles down in a way that, you know, you really, it l lets you really buy into this shift by the end when CJ tells Margaret. Would you please set up a call first thing tomorrow morning with the prime minister of the United Kingdom? Sure. Who's going to be on the call? Me. 
and she sits behind Leo's desk. And, you know, it's a really wonderful execution of the arc of the Marx Brothers beginning. Frenetic pace of it. Yeah, to this sort of solitary moment at the end where, where things have expanded and quieted it's down. kind of a what kind of day has it been moment. Yeah. You know what scene I wish they had handled differently or excised completely is the scene where CJ visits Leo in his hospital room. Oh, yeah? It's beautifully acted by Allison, but what I would have preferred to see was either that scene minus any dialogue or maybe that scene not existing. It's just a little, I feel like it was um, caving into a baser TV drama impulse to have her go into the room of the man who's hooked up to a machine whose job she's taken over and, you know, say out loud. I don't think this is going to work out. And she acts it beautifully. I mean, she's incredible, but it's, uh, I would rather have seen the look in her eyes that said it all yeah. and not heard her articulate the thought out loud. After all, he can't hear her. Or I think we got this moment. This moment could have taken place elsewhere or uh, not at all. Yeah. I liked her being there in, in Leo's room. I liked that she left the place to sort of try and recenter. And decompress. Yeah, and Leo is this sort of touchstone for like, this is how it's supposed to work. This is the guy who ran this office the right way. Can I just absorb something from him? But I think you're right. If that, if that scene had existed without dialogue, that would have been really, it would have given it a complexity that I think it lacks right now. Exactly. And when you've got an actor of Allison's caliber, it's all there. Yeah. It's in her eyes. It's on her face. And you don't need to wrap it up with a little bow of dialogue. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm with you on that. I thought Fred Armisen was good as Roman Mendeli. Dude! Did you write down the same thing? This is... Okay, here's what I wrote. Mr. Roman Mendeli from the Republic of Georgia is played by Eugene Alper. It feels like a Fred Armisen character. <laughs> wow. Wow. How do you like that? It sure did. <laughs> that character is ridiculous. I wanted to speak with Mr. Magari. This is gift I bring for him. Saperavi. From my own vines. <laughs> yeah, he just wandered in either from a Fred Armisen sketch. What's your name? My name? Mm-hmm. Milipnos. Can you spell that, please? M L E P Clay. Did you say clay? Yes, the clay is silent. Or from a, certainly, at, at the very least, from a Big Block of Cheese Day episode. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. By the way, my other favorite moment of this episode is a funny one. When CJ calls from the Debbie Charlie zone, she calls Margaret and she says, Margaret, did the Secretary of Defense call for me? It's CJ. <laughs> it's, uh, That's pretty great. Really wonderful. Like I said, this is just a huge episode for Margaret. That was one where she didn't even have to be on screen or we didn't, and we didn't even have to hear her voice. Just That's for right. Be like, oh, Margaret, <laughs> just killing it. <laughs> Um, when she says, you know, CJ's asking her questions and she says, You really have to start walking now. <laughs> like she's forgotten the walk and talk part of the... And I uh, do like when Charlie uh, grabs her by the arm and walks her around to yeah. how you approach the Oval Office. Yeah, it's great. Charlie's really cute to her the whole episode, mm-hmm. you know, um, when he says... Just today, tomorrow you're on your own. I, I loved that. I actually thought about Charlie a little bit with the Annabeth thing, too. Because, um, you know, he comes in for the bike messenger job and he ends up getting this. Mm-hmm. He ends up proving that he's actually much more valuable than that. Good point. And I thought, Annabeth, she's come in for this media relations thing, but she's already got ideas that seem to be big ideas. And she wants to help find the new press secretary. And, uh, mm-hmm. 
Yeah. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll be joined by Oscar winner, Allison Janney. The West Wing Weekly is sponsored by Squarespace, the best way to create a website for your project, your business, your art, or anything that you want to showcase online. Squarespace makes it easy. That's why we've used Squarespace from day one for our fabulous westwingweekly.com website. It's true. And it's so simple to add features, edit your content, upload pictures, anything that you might want to do. That's right. So if you've ever pondered having a website, maybe you have something to sell, maybe you have something to share, maybe you're an artist, maybe you have thoughts, blog posts. If you are creative in any way, check out Squarespace. They will help you get your message out to the world. And if you aren't so creative, they give you beautiful templates created by world-class designers. Plus, there's 24-7 award-winning customer support if you ever get stuck. So just head over to squarespace.com slash West Wing, and you'll get a free trial, free. And when you're ready to launch, use the offer code West Wing to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or a domain. The West Wing Weekly is sponsored by Simply Safe. Look, we all put off doing things we know we need to do. I mean, we know we need to organize the garage or weed through our closets, but something always gets in the way. It's funny how home security can be like that. You know it's a good idea, but there's always something holding you back. Maybe it's the idea of paying a middleman or scheduling a six-hour installation window. Like, who's got time for that? Well, fellow procrastinators of home protection, now is the time to act. Because Simply Safe Home Security's extended holiday sale ends soon. And Simply Safe got rid of all the reasons not to get home security. Because they believe nothing should come between you and protecting your home. We're talking no contracts, no markups, no complicated installation. It's professional quality home security that's so easy you'll have it up and running in minutes. So, yeah, you could add this to your epic to-do list. Or, hey, you could do it right now. Just go to simplysafe.com slash West Wing and order before January 8th to save with their extended holiday sale. That's simplysafe.com slash West Wing. And now, back to the show. Allison, thank you so much for joining us. I'm very happy to be here with you guys. It's been a while. It is very kind of you to give us your time. I have to say these days, it's kind of a pleasure to go back and look at a West Wing episode. This episode, Liftoff, could actually air today and would just fit in perfectly. It would be about President Trump choosing Sarah Huckabee Sanders as his new chief of staff. (laughs) That's what you're saying you want. No! (laughs) That's that's how I interpret what you just said. Oh my God, please don't. When did, I assume, John Wells tell you that uh, you were going to be the choice for chief of staff? When did you learn about this storyline? I don't remember that moment. I do remember knowing me that I was probably like, are you sure? I don't, I don't know. Really? I, I'm not sure. Like, I was just not entirely behind the idea because I was so comfortable in my position there in the, the West Wing as press secretary. And I thought I was doing a great job. And I just, I loved uh, the way things were. And I knew that kind of change was going to create some bumps along the way for me, Allison Janney, and for CJ. Much more fun to show CJ's bumps along the way than mine. And there were a few after stepping into those shoes. Yeah. But interesting. So truly your response was, you know, you, you would have just as soon stayed doing what you're doing. I think of you as so capable of doing anything. Like, I can't imagine you would actually... Well, let's just say this. If I had started off in that role, I think, you know, I, I'd be totally game to jump to that challenge. But I tend to be self-deprecating. But my 
you know, political savvy. And I, I just knew that it would be hard. There would be hard shoes, hard shoes for me to fill and to stand there and, huh. and, and, uh, just spit out all this day. Easier. It's easier to do that as a press secretary than to, to have to be the boss of Toby and Josh. And, you know, it just, it was a, it was difficult for me. And I also, I mean, I didn't mean to get ahead of myself here, but going down the road in further episodes, I remember always having to tell the director, I know I don't have a line here, but shouldn't they all look to me for a nod? Like I <laughs> needing to yeah. have that power and I can't create that myself. Everyone has to give me that power. Like I can't play the queen and walk in the room. Everyone else makes me the queen. I, I have to. So that those moments I found a little tricky and it was it was uncomfortable for me to say to ask for those things. But um, no, I think CJ is absolutely capable of doing that job. But I love how she goes about it in a way of, let's just not make this a big deal, okay? Let's just, you know, just business as usual. I'll just be chief of staff. But it's not like, it's just kind of a fish out of water, but not really out of water, but, you know, different water. And um, it was enormously fun to watch her navigate the transition and everyone else. What were the bumps that you anticipated for yourself? The, the Alice and Jenny bumps that you thought you might might be coming your way? Having to be the boss of um, Josh and Brad and, and Richard and be in a room and have to have them listen to me and take orders from me. Yeah, the act, the acting dynamic would have to change. Actor dynamic would have to change. And I don't know if they all thought it was a good idea for me to be chief of staff. I know maybe this is a little bit of characters bleeding into actors, and you know, because I'm sure there were there were moments when you see maybe Toby or Josh should have been given those shoes to fill and not CJ. Everyone was so into politics, but me. Yeah. So to play that role, I just felt like such a pretender to the throne, and I felt like everyone knew it. So it made put more pressure on me to. I felt more insecure and more self conscious about taking over a room in that capacity as chief of staff. I'm surprised by that because you know, really, you just have to act like you know that stuff, and that you'd proven very well. Yes, but. They know me so well. They knew me so well personally. They knew how far afield I was from that role. You know, my own insecurity, I felt like they're laughing at me. They totally know. I don't know what the hell I'm talking about. <laughs> I don't know. In some ways, it feels like this episode could have been the first episode of the season. Yeah. I understand they had to lay the groundwork to get there, but there's something about even just the way the episode starts, everything, it feels like a real new beginning. But I love that. I loved that even though we don't get it as the season premiere, there is sort of a treatment of it like it was a, an entirely new chapter starting. Yeah. And I was I was kind of disappointed when I Googled this episode and in the synopsis of the plot, it doesn't mention anywhere that CJ becomes chief of staff. I was like... Wow, bury the lead there. As the person on this podcast who's responsible for the synopses at the beginning, I have learned to be very distrustful of the official synopsis. Yes, I actually, I think I recall you saying that on um, one of the podcasts. And it's true. They, I don't know who, who does them, someone who doesn't watch the whole episode, or I don't know. <laughs> There's a lot of physical humor in this episode. You know, with all of the high stakes and changing roles and introducing new characters, there's still room for some really just funny physical stuff. One of my favorites, and it, I don't know if it was the first time I did it, but I know we all loved for the opportunity to duck under the Bartlett putting on his jacket. Moments. That was awesome. Fantastic. Very well executed. I loved I, I couldn't wait to do I love stuff like that. It just makes it so fun to have in the middle of an incredibly serious 
moment just and just plow through it. Yeah, incoming. Got to fix my hair. Incoming. Let's keep going. You know, the other one that I love is uh, one that feels like it must have been a little bit technically intricate to execute. It starts off with you know Toby, CJ, and Carol are walking down the hall, and Toby has a bunch of documents in his hands, which is already <laughs> funny. And then he's also holding a bottle of water, and then you put another piece of paper on there, and then you take <laughs> the water from him. I know. And you take a sip. I was looking at that. And you got you got to know that that was not an in Aaron Sorkin's thing because I just said here get, take this. T-. I, I actually ad-libbed, which is a remarkable thing. Oh. And I rewound and watched that little moment because I loved it so much. It was so, it was just delicious. I'll remind you we're in the post-Sorkin years, please. <gasps> oh, that's right. Oh, that's right. <laughs> that's right. Maybe that's why. That's why I did it. I felt like I, comfortable enough to throw in a little ad-lib. <laughs> there, it's an unbelievable piece of work between all three of you because you take that sip and then you try and give it back to Toby and he starts to reach for it. And as you put it in his hand, he's like, I don't want that. And then you have to give it to, to Carol instead. <laughs> to Melissa Fitzgerald, who, who just, just standing there holding it's the great. little thing yeah. at it. Like, what am I going to do with this now? <laughs> it's just like... And my other favorite thing is Brad Whitford's risky business moment. Awesome. Yeah. We've talked about it. We didn't know when it was coming because it's a much gift moment where he's... Sli- the, it's got to be Guinness' longest uh, sock, <laughs> stocking foot slide on camera. And he's like fully 45 degrees as he does that slide. It looks physically impossible. It's yeah. a great piece of physical comedy. It was so much fun to see that, just sliding right, trying to get there to just... You know, be there when uh, when Toby gets out of the, his disastrous press briefing. It was God. It was fun. And the look down the hall. I'd like to see the uh, the outtakes from that moment. I would too. Wouldn't you love? I think John Wells has got all these outtakes in a in a vault. <laughs> and I think we we need to do a you know midnight caper and go over there and break into that vault. Yeah, they're I probably see... you know twentieth anniversary is coming up. Maybe they'll put out something. It would be fun to see a lot of uh, to see an extended gag reel or something like oh, that. God, it would be great. There's a moment where CJ's given a briefing and, you know, Margaret says, Leo likes to glance at the top sheets before senior staff circle anything he's got questions about. And again, this is just like a little physical detail, but the way you go about, you know, you circle one thing, circle another thing. And then right before you go ahead and circle almost everything on the page, there's just like that little hesitation with the pen. I'm just like, ah, f- yeah, just exactly. circle all damn yeah. thing. Yeah. Just, can, I, I need help in everything. Yeah. That's the difference between a, just a, a regular gag and elevating it to another level. Yeah. And then to go further from that gag, then when, you know, it's obviously CJ can't, it's too uncomfortable to get behind Leo's desk and then, you know, uh, Toby and, and Josh turn their chairs around to face her at the little chair, <laughs> right. you know, at the desk. <laughs> She's like, she just can't get behind. And then to, even before that, when she comes in and sees all the flowers. Wow. Oh, people shouldn't be sending me flowers. They're for Leo. That's brutal. <laughs> yeah, I, I like your, your response. You don't. You, your reaction is very funny. You kind of just walk on by. You don't. <laughs> you don't want to live in go. that moment yeah. at all. No. Oh my no God. smile. <laughs> so so funny. Oh my God. Let's talk about the moment where CJ enters into the uh, briefing room to talk to the press corps as press secretary for the last time. Good morning. morning. This will be my last briefing as White House press secretary. That made me. That made me cry watching it. It was so 
beautiful and so it was sweet. Uh, bittersweet and just lovely and 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 so graceful and just wanting to um say goodbye to a room of people that she'd grown fond of even though i'm sure a lot of them she had difficulties with but it was such a sweet moment and then for bartlett to come in and bust in on the press briefing and and be the one to announce that she would be moving to chief of staff was such a great favor he did for her to show his support of this decision. And it was, it was a lovely moment. It was a lovely scene. And I, I also liked what you had to say about the press corps and about the journalists with whom you have worked for so many years. That was refreshing, God. given today's take from the press room. I know. And when the president comes in and they all stand up, would that even happen now? I guess they have to. I don't know. I don't know. But now that everything about that just... just well, now so... the chairs are electrified. <laughs> <laughs> they just give them a jolt and everybody stands. <laughs> Yeah, it was a beautiful scene of what, I don't know if the press room ever looked like that or anyone stepping down. I would imagine, you know, ours was a little sweeter than than the reality would be, but for former administrations, but certainly this one, it would never. Ugh. I thought it was a beautiful detail that CJ has prepared this, you know, heartfelt speech. These past six years working for this exceptional group of journalists. I'm sorry, I'll, thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, the president of the United States. And before she can even get the first sentence out, it's interrupted by the president. It felt like a great encapsulation of what the job is, too, that, you know, there's always things happening and the president might walk in and say something and whatever plan you made to do this wonderful gesture, it doesn't actually get to happen as you orchestrate it in your mind. Yeah. I need to just yeah, let it go on to the next thing. And Toby, I mean, Richard Schiff's, uh, Toby's first briefing is one of the most <laughs> hilarious briefings I've ever, I mean, just the way the shot starts with him like down below the, the podium right. and then he's like, comes up and it's just everything about it is such a train wreck in such a great way. Well, what's happening behind CJ's eyes in the moment where after the president does announce her as um, chief of staff, you know, there's the reaction, people stand up and clap and there's a look that you give. It's a complicated look, I think. Yeah, it's a look of gratitude for the president for doing that and then a look of sheer terror and like, oh my God, it's it's real now and What's everyone ahead? knows and my life has changed forever. And I see a sea of some faces happy for me, some not, some already thinking it's a bad decision. Right. I think, yeah, there's a lot going on there, but it's definitely, uh, okay, this is real. Yeah. This is real now. It felt to me like there was some element of pride, but then almost uh, like not wanting to let the pride quite show. Yeah, I think that's even better. I think you probably saw it, but yeah, I think there there was pride there. And then I think the next moment is the flower one. Yeah. So any pride that she did have, right. she's like, oh yeah, get back down yeah. on the ground. And then Mar Margaret, I mean, all the stuff with Margaret is so wonderful. I think maybe the best job offer ever. You're an odd woman, and I've never quite understood you, but you're extremely capable, and you run this office like a Swiss watch, and you're tall, which is reassuring. Leo may need you, and if he does, that's okay, but if he's willing to part with you, I hope you'll stay. <laughs> Great dialogue. <laughs> Great stuff. Okay, this might be, this is a little risque, maybe. Okay. I'm first shot, curious. Well, the first shot of this episode is through a peephole. Oh, that's right. And you are mm -hmm. only half dressed. We see you in a bra. I know. I can't. I, I can't believe I did that and was okay with it. I think. Uh, What's up with that bra? I think maybe the way Alex Graves, who directed this episode, I think the way he described it was that it would be through a peephole, so you wouldn't be in the foreground. You wouldn't be. It wouldn't be sort of blurry and right. whatever. And I don't honestly know if I saw that episode before yesterday <laughs> when I watched it. Truly. 
I swear to God, at a certain point, I stopped watching the episodes because you know Mm -hmm. how it was. It was just, we were eating, sleeping, breathing, drinking West Wing and you got home. You weren't going to, I'm not going to watch West Wing. I want to do anything but West Wing. So I honestly don't think I watched that episode until yesterday. So I was kind of shocked that it was like, Hey, 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 hold on. That is not so people-y. That is, that's kind of like, I could see my Alex stomach lied. there. I could see my bra. That is, you know, I'm, I'm fine with it. I, I look back on myself with age much kinder. Um, <laughs> um, and I think I look fantastic. But given how prudish the show has been until this time, that's basically a nude scene. Yeah. Did you mind shooting it? I don't remember shooting it. I don't remember anything. I'll tell you the only thing I remember, and I don't remember a lot in my life. And I was looking at this episode going, God, I don't, I don't remember shooting that scene. I don't remember shooting this. I don't remember any of this. And then when I got to a scene with Margaret where I had to say, and I wrote it down because I wouldn't be able to say it. Where's the nonproliferation fund and the uranium repatriation study? That was the one I remember. I said that. I remember that. I remember I couldn't say those words as fast as I needed to. And I told Alex, I said, just shoot it from the back. Get it on my back of my head. I'm not going to say it. I'm not going to be able to say it. I don't even know how I, I said it. Uranium repatriation and non Those are the kind of uh, word burgers that can turn into a real situation. Because <laughs> after yeah, after missing perfect. it once or twice, this it feels like there's such a light being <laughs> shined yeah. onto it that yeah. you're just gearing up for that moment in the scene. And it, it can turn it into a Real situation. It decreases your chances every time. Absolutely. Yeah, let's talk about CJ's first time in the situation room. Yeah, how about Steve Ryan as Secretary Hutchison? He's talking good. about an enemy, just evil, mean man. My favorite Steve Ryan role, I don't know if we've talked about this, Josh, is uh, that of the one-armed man on uh, Arrested Development oh. who teaches the kids a lesson about well, that's why you always leave a note. George Sr. had used his considerable means to stage intricate scenarios to teach his children what he considered valuable life lessons. I need help. I'll get my gear. That's why you always leave a note. (laughs) Did you reference that once before? I mean, I'm always thinking about that's why you always leave a note. So CJ goes into the Situation Room for the very first time, I believe... Right? Well, it was certainly her first time as chief of staff. Yes. Yeah. In the situation room. It was, um, you know, a slap of ice cold water in her face by Secretary Hutchison, who basically just runs over her in every way. Get the president to report on domestic storage capacity. Hang on, I'm not sure already. Yes, before it. We done? Just saying, you're not going to have a role here in this room. I have a direct line to the president. We are doing this, we are doing this, and you don't know what you're talking about. And you see Anna DeVere Smith across the way looking at me like, oh, you poor thing. We got to get you on the right page here. You know, she comes to her defense, certainly, and says this just came in the room. Yeah. Settle down, Secretary Hutchison. But um, uh, so she does think she has Anna DeVere's character on her side, but she kind of watches her fumble. I thought it was a neat dynamic, the, the triangle there, because Hutchinson really acts like he's running the room, like it's right. his room to run, though it's Nancy who sits at the head of the table, and I would think that really it would be hers, or maybe, you know, it's the chief of staffs, and instead he just sort of takes up all of the oxygen. I, I was surprised that Nancy sort of wasn't speaking more, and then I thought, oh, actually, maybe Nancy's doing the thing that she thinks is right, which is deferring to the chief of staff, giving CJ a chance, but then before CJ can actually take the chance, Hutchison, Hutchison just jumps in and, and uh, rests control and acts like he's the authority. She's not a total idiot in there. She does bring up some good points, but he just 
barrels over, yeah. runs roughshod over her. He is the worst. I do like that uh, <laughs> CJ finally gets to ask Margaret. Hutchinson's a son of a bitch. Is that just me? Or? Yeah. I know. <laughs> <laughs> we talked about Margaret a little bit. Can you tell us more about your own relationship with uh, Nicole Robinson? I did love working with Nicole. She was really quirky and odd, like CJ says, and had a peculiar sense of humor. And it was hard to say where Nicole ended and Margaret began or vice versa. I don't know. She was um, wonderfully quirky in that role. It was, um, she was great in it. And, uh, and I loved the relationship journey that she, CJ goes on with her now as her assistant. They have a few bumps finding, you know, finding their way. That was something everybody pretending to resign. Lost their cotton socks. But you know I'm actually leaving, right? And then um, she turns out to be the one who helps her swim. Yeah. This episode also introduces Christian Chenoweth into the mix for the first time. That's right. I loved seeing her pop in. Those are great scenes of them interviewing people. And then in comes Christian Chenoweth thinking she's applying for a different job altogether. She thinks she's coming in for deputy press secretary or something and, and then ends up being incredibly valuable in her, her advice. You just need a little grooming. I can take care of that. And I'll help you find a new press secretary. A real search, not some 24-hour emergency rescue mission. It's a wonderful addition to the cast, just for her size alone next to you know, me <laughs> and our future scenes together. <laughs> One of my favorite lines where I'm walking next to her and I say, I can't believe we're the same species. Well, let's turn to the writing a little bit. I wonder if you had a conversation with Deborah Kahn at all about this episode, you know, before you started shooting it or during. No, I never had any conversations with any of the writers about any of the material, except to say, what a great episode. I'm so excited I get to do it. Hmm. And Deborah was one of my favorite writers. You're like me in your approach, Allison. Am I? T- it's yeah. just I mean, it's been far more successful for you, but we have similar <laughs> approaches. <laughs> I think you could probably be a better dramaturg than I could, Josh. But I, oh, I don't know. I read something and I go, I don't know if this is what they want me to say. I'll say it. I don't deign to think I could think of a better way to say something or, or this would be better if CJ did this or that. I just never felt comfortable doing that. Mm-hmm. I totally trusted them. And Yeah, I, well, my thought process is they're not paying me as a writer, so <laughs> I'll do what an actor does, which is to simply say out loud what the writers get paid to do. <laughs> well, that's another good that's another good reason to stay stay in your lane. Um right. and I definitely like to stay in the actor's lane and let the um writers write, the directors direct, producers produce. I love that Deborah Khan got this episode because I remember we spoke to Josh Singer a few episodes ago about an episode that he wrote. And in it, he mentioned that he felt like Deborah Khan became kind of the soul of the show in a way. And I feel like CJ has been that as well for a very long time. And one of the things that I love about her promotion to chief of staff was sort of a recognition of that idea that she was the the soul of what's going on in the West Wing. And so I thought, you know, I don't know if that sense of Deborah Khan grew out of writing an episode like this, but it felt like a really great match. I would love to ask her about that, if she was the one who suggested this storyline, or did she just hear about it and then wanted to write for it? Because she thought, I don't know, that's interesting. Is there more that you wanted to talk about? Are there notes that you made? Lily Tomlin, she is hysterical. Is she nervous? No, she looks fine. Oh, that's good. I'd be apoplectic. Oh, I want to know what I wanted to ask you about. You know, with all of the shuffling that happens between offices and jobs, One of the hardest moments, I think, is when CJ asks 
Carol to go work with Toby instead. CJ, do you want me in? I'm not sure where to sit. Oh, God, right. Toby's going to need you. That's fine. Just for the next couple of days. Like you said, Margaret becomes her lifeline as the assistant to the chief of staff. But in the bargain, we lose this, you know, Batman and Robin dynamic between CJ and Carol. You're right. That was a really sweet moment. And you saw all over Melissa Fitzgerald's face that, Mm -hmm. you know, she was not going to be in the room with CJ on this journey. And she accepts it with grace, but a little bit of sadness. Yeah. Carol gives a a nod, like almost like a kid being asked to babysit. You're not. Yeah. Yeah. Babysitter. You can't come to the party. Right. Exactly. It's like, okay, well, I understand. Maybe another time. Okay. Yeah. I got it. Good. Good. Yeah. Yeah. But but there's definitely hurt there. Oh God. Melissa. One of my favorite things, and I think a lot of our listeners' favorite things is the, uh, knowledge that you and Melissa are friends in real life. Yeah. All the moments where like when you called her in the middle of our taping in DC. I mean, this is just one of the best things. That was awesome. That was hilarious. And you know, I just talked to uh, Ron Klein on the phone the other night. He was on the stage, I guess, when that happened, when I called in. That's right. Papa Smurf, as he's known on the podcast. That was the most confusing one of the most confusing things, because I just thought she had, had a TV on that was so loud. And I was like, what is going on? I just couldn't figure <laughs> it out. It was so hilarious. Even when you don't know there's an audience, you know how to that's why work I an said audience. When I said, that's why I was like with you guys, do I have to look good to get? Are you like, are you Skyping from a stage with a, you know, right. 500 we will not be, We will not betray your trust again. Oh, my God, that was hilarious. <laughs> um, but there was something else that reminded me of. Uh, oh, yeah. Well, you know, I just I, I just worked with them. Um, Brad on Mom. He did my yes. last uh, episode before uh, before Christmas uh, on the Mom Show, and he had to play, you know, just absolutely three sheets drunk in every scene, and he was hilarious. Who knew he could play? He never had to play drunk on the West Wing. He had to play hungover, I think. Yes, but no that's one had right. To play drunk on the West Wing, but we're all. What my point is, we're all still friends, all of us, and we always love seeing each other. We all love each other, right? Yes. Thanks so much for joining us, Allison, and thanks to all of you for listening. I guess that does it for another episode of the West Wing Weekly. Thanks to everybody who donated to the now defunct Radiotopia fundraising drive. We made it past 25,000 new donors, which is awesome. We all get stickers. It ends happily. There's much joy. And uh, we thank you for the incredible support of our show and of Radiotopia in general, which is a collection of fabulous podcasts that you can learn more about at radiotopia.fm. Even though the fundraiser is over, if you do want to support Radiotopia, you can still do it at radiotopia.fm. You can also go to the West Wing Weekly and support our show by clicking on the Donate tab. You can follow Allison Janney on Twitter. She's at Allison B. Janney. You can also follow our show, the West Wing Weekly, at West Wing Weekly. And you can follow us at our names. Many thanks to Margaret Miller, Nick Song, and Zach McNeese. And if you missed it over the holidays, I I hope you didn't. There's a special West Wing Christmas edition episode of Song Exploder, where Yo-Yo Ma discusses the prelude from Bach's cello suite number one in G major, which you will remember is the piece of music that causes Josh to suffer from PTSD in Noel. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. What's next? Radio Tokyo.